0: Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy.
1: Oh, that's old-fashioned.
0: Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello.
1: And welcome to Awesome Etiquette.
0: Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
1: On today's show, we take your questions on guests exploring your home on their own, dealing with tension between clients as a dog behavior consultant, foreign language etiquette, and inviting child-free friends to kids' birthday parties. For
0: Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about stepping away from a group activity, but not leaving the group of friends
1: plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on etiquette and digital stationery.
0: All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning.
1: And I'm Lizzie Post. Dan, I feel like there's probably etiquette going on in our lives. (laughs) I know in mine. I I mean, it happens every day, right? Like, it happens every day. (laughs) But I actually got invited over to a little dinner party the other night. It was just, like, me and the the couple and their kid. Oh, really? Um, Do tell. I've got to tell you the funny part about it. So, you know... friends imagine that (laughs) and like and and some of these friends even go so far as to like buy our etiquette book this friend, my friends Allie and Mac, I should say not as a couple, but as individuals, Allie and Mac bought the book. They read it. And not only that, but they applied some of what they read to like our dinner party the other night. It was like, it was really sweet and awesome. And it made me feel very taken care of as a guest. And then the follow up the next day also happened with like the exchange of the text messages. Oh, it was so great. Did you, you know, make it down the hill safely? I walked up to their house. It was, it was really darn good. Gosh darn delightful, Dan.
0: Aw. Okay. What about you? No, I'm going to hit a great big pause on anything okay. that I was going to say. And I just need to sit for a moment with what you just told me because that is awesome.
1: <laughs> it felt so good. <laughs> like it really did.
0: I'm curious. Tell me more because I, 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 I'm hearing something from you, but it's also a little bit different than something that I'm taking away from it that I'm saying, okay, boy, that's okay. awesome. <laughs>
1: I think what I'm really excited about and what has me just a little bit in awe this morning is that, that Allie and Mac actually have since purchasing the book Reddit cover to cover now, which – it's, like, hard to get your friends and family to pay attention to the work that I don't know you do. that many people that even, can say they've done like, that. Like, right? <laughs> like, our friends and family don't, like, always listen to our podcast or buy it. Like, I don't think my best friend has even, like, bought the book. And that's not to shame her. She's a busy person. But, like, I will say, there's been this delicious little handful of, like, McCrew who's very spread out over the world who they have. They've purchased the book and they've actually spent a little time with it. And Allie, over the past months, has sent me a couple text messages as she finds things within the book. She found in this little group of neighbors that I'm around, she found the sneaking in of a pair of neighbors' names into the book, and she told me about that. And uh she really loved the intro to the book and the the kind of more theoretical stuff about etiquette, and yeah. it's been delicious seeing her experience it. And then it was delicious to have dinner at their house and experience it on a different level. Um, I, I don't know, Dan, I could literally talk about this forever, but I, like, I do want to hear your thoughts. I also want to hear about some of the etiquette in your world right now.
0: <laughs> oh, well, we've got lots of time to talk about etiquette. <laughs> well, well the, the first thing is I just want to reflect back to you. I so understand that just excitement for the people that you're close to in – I'm going to put it in quotes – real life, outside yeah. the etiquette world life yeah. who yeah. – you know, reached over into that etiquette world and, and, and found something of value, something of interest to them, and and particularly the book that you've worked so hard on recently. It's a good feeling. <laughs> and I want to give a big pass to all of the people that we know quite well personally that haven't done yes. that yet. Because
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yes. yes it is yes,
0: a 400-plus yes. page book. It's non-narrative. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit of a lift. I think it's an easier, better read than people think think it's going to be and (laughs) i appreciate that that is a an effort that it takes to discover that and i also think there's something about knowing people where they just feel like they've already got access to it they don't need to read the book because they they know you so well
1: true 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 yeah
0: but the other thing that i'm thinking about was an intention that was a very strong intention of yours about this book from the very beginning and it was in response to how difficult it had been to host dinner parties because people just didn't know how to respond they didn't know what the expectations were or how to behave or because they didn't know how to behave they didn't think it was easy to just say yes and come or Mm -hmm. just respond to the invitation in a timely manner that set you up as a host to do the job and one of the the things that i'm most proud of about this book is the work that that you put into and i i hope i was supported i was gonna say
1: this is you put a lot of this was a really a
0: particular vision of yours i think for this book is that you wanted to walk people through being able to entertain and entertain at home and see that that's a doable thing and that whatever level of formality you want to do that at there are some things that make it go well and can can open that up as a possibility in your life and it sounds like it worked with some of your closest friends, which is just so cool.
1: <laughs> no, I really did. I've really enjoyed getting to know this couple. I met them while dog sitting. They're the neighbors to the house that I dog sit at. And so whenever I'm dog sitting, which I'm doing right now, we, we always get together and we've made vows to get together outside of my dog sitting as well. But this was my my chance on this uh, stint that I'm on right now to hang out with them. And it was just really lovely. It was just so exactly what it needed to to be. It didn't last too long. It wasn't too short. It wasn't a complicated meal. It was delicious. Everyone enjoyed uh, their daughter. I love this. She eats at the dinner table and she eats whatever they are eating. And sometimes they eat, you know, fish sticks and, and French fries and stuff like that. It's not like it's all adult stuff. But it was a real delight to experience that just so, so well. You know what I mean? I know not every night is like that for every family, but like I happen to catch them on a great night. And then I just, I just love the little follow up texts today. Like, Hey, did you get down the hill? Okay. Like it just was nice. <laughs>
0: I, I, I'm doing a chef's kiss here. <laughs> well, it,
1: was, it was really, it was, it was lovely. It was all, all the things you hope kind of a casual, but still polite evening would be.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad that you are finding an increasing dosage of etiquette in your world, Lizzie Post.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs>
0: and and I'll, come, you, I'll come ready. Next week's show will start and I'll give you some etiquette from my um, world, too. Is, no, that fair, really? is that a fair you, deal?
1: You're going to just focus on mine? We're not going to get to yours?
0: <laughs> well, no, because we have something else we have to get to.
1: Oh, we do. We have some questions, don't we? <laughs> we do. All right. Well, I am excited to get to those. So shall we get to some questions,
2: Cuz?
0: Let's do it.
1: Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text message at 802 858 kind, that's 802 858 5463, or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst, on Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute, and on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on
0: the show. Our first question this week is about a nosy guest mess. Mm, Dear Dan and Lizzie, My husband and I often host my out-of-town family for Thanksgiving. My family is relatively large, so some of them stay at our house and others stay elsewhere. Our guest rooms are upstairs, along with a guest bathroom. One family member who does not usually stay overnight with us makes a habit of going upstairs and looking around. Mm. As it is my house, this makes me feel particularly uncomfortable because it makes me feel like a bad host to have someone possibly looking through my guests' things. There is an additional guest bathroom on the ground floor, so this person really has no reason to go upstairs at all. I believe this individual is well-meaning. She's just a little bit unaware of social boundaries and probably doesn't realize this behavior is invasive and inappropriate. I've asked myself if there is any understandable reason to go upstairs, but it doesn't seem like there's an explanation other than snooping. She goes upstairs for a long stretch of time, and I can hear several doors opening and closing. Additionally, this person has been to my house when no one is staying and I have happily given her a tour of the whole house. Mm. Is there any way to politely ask this person not to snoop through my guests' bedrooms? Or is it better to say nothing and apologize to my overnight guests? Unfortunately, they also have noticed this behavior. I would imagine that feeling called out would make this person feel uncomfortable, even in a one-on-one conversation. However, her actions are making others feel uncomfortable. Thank you so much for all that you do and any help you can give me perplexed hostess
1: perplexed hostess. Get some Emily post gold stars here. It sounds like you're a delightful host. and I love the way you're thinking about not just your own privacy but your guests' privacy and that you as the host are sort of a protector of that and questioning how this behavior impacts guests and letting us know so many of these details that the guests have been have noticed this behavior too, and that you've apologized to them for it. You recognize this is a bit of a problem. I feel like, Dan, I'm going to make a suggestion that isn't my typical (laughs) go-to, and (laughs) I'm curious what you're going to think of it, but I'm listening to all the backstory here and that we've done a house tour already so this person has seen the upstairs that really this is what I think of as a good definition of snooping. There's no reason for it. We're not looking for a medicine cabinet to grab some Advil out of. We're, you know, we're upstairs when there's no bathroom upstairs that we need to use up there. I grew up in a house that didn't have a ground floor bathroom so you were always being invited to go up either to my sister and my my bathroom or to my parents' bathroom which was inside their master suite so that like a little bit different when you actually direct guests to those spaces as opposed to no need for them to do it and because we've already identified that this person might not take the polite version of a no snooping conversation well i'm thinking a beautiful ribbon with a little sign on it towards the top of the stairs not the bottom of the stairs and i have a reason for this but towards the top of the stairs that says the upstairs is off limits for tonight thank you so much for understanding or we ask that guests not go upstairs at this time as we have guests staying with us i feel like something like that would be enough of a deterrent i could be wrong you might still hear doors opening and closing someone might just step right over this physical boundary that you set but i like the idea of kind of making it an address to anybody who tried to go upstairs of you know tonight i would love for this area to be off limits or something like that
0: you know, Lizzie Post, that is not what I expected to hear. <laughs> it was not even on my list of possible options.
1: It's like a really, it's kind of a different one for me. But, you know, normally we say either the passive-aggressive note isn't okay or that, that in general you want to direct people with your words, not—or well, these are words, but with, with a spoken conversation as opposed to written words. But we do make little suggestions. For instance, if the toilet, you need to hold the flusher down for a while, like, you know, till the bowl clears. I've seen beautiful little notes in bathrooms about that or a request to please use the hand towels, you know, set here, not the decorative ones here. Or a request to not put, you know, feminine hygiene products down the toilet or use um, paper towel instead of toilet paper in the toilet. Things like that. I've seen a lot around the bathroom with direction. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping I can apply it to this particular snooping situation.
0: I'm going to accept it. I'm going to Yay! say, you know, that's a, that's a reasonable approach. It's, it's an original etiquette, a little sign telling people what to expect and what to do. If we go back to the etymology and the origin of the word. So I guess because you're describing an actual etiquette, a little ticket describing correct behavior, a little mm-hmm. sign, um, I shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I was thinking about it similarly to you in the sense that your, your hosting duties dictate that I would do more than I would usually do if I was confronted with this kind of behavior. Most often, I would hold my tongue in a situation like this. I would say, oh, I don't like someone potentially snooping around upstairs in my house or just satisfying their curiosity by looking around. I am allowing for there to be the slightest possibility that there's something that they need that requires a little privacy. Um, That maybe someone is looking for a bathroom because there's something about their routine in a bathroom where they would rather be a little further away from from friends and family or the entertaining space. And at the same time, that's that's doing some work on their behalf. Yeah, Um,
1: (laughs) you kind of hope that this family member might reach out and say, hey, I've got this kind of issue. Do you mind if you let me use the upstairs bathroom whenever I come over, you know? Or,
0: or that they would go upstairs and go to the bathroom and that yes. you wouldn't hear them coming and going from other rooms around the upstairs and particularly rooms that other people were staying in. And yes. one of my ideas was of a practical sort, a little bit like your – I like the idea of the ribbon at the top of the stairs. It looks <laughs> I nice or whatever. it to whatever. be pretty.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, exactly.
0: Just do doors have locks? Could your guests lock the doors and could you mention to them, you know, not that there's a particular offender, but just that during the party, you're not able to keep track of everybody. And if they had any concerns that they would be welcome to lock their door, it wouldn't offend you or bother you as a host in the home. The other thought I had was sort of a a preemptive move of inviting your offender, the guest who's the likely offender on a house tour first thing. And during that tour, mentioning, oh, well, these are where, these are the rooms where they're staying, so we're, I don't go in there, we don't go in there when they're here, I treat those as private spaces. And you just make that a really explicit expectation for yourself as the host and someone who's in the house, and any reasonable guest will interpret that message and stay out of those rooms as well.
1: Is it odd to offer a tour to someone who you've already given a tour to? That would be my only concern with that one. What do you think? I wouldn't do it if they didn't do this on a – if
0: this wasn't (laughs) behavior that they had repeated. Interesting. but I would offer. I'd say, you know, could I show you around? Would you like to take a look? Could I bring you upstairs? And I wouldn't I'm mention curious. it in relation to the previous page. <laughs> I wouldn't say, you know, I've <laughs> noticed you tend to go do this.
1: I've noticed you tend to always go upstairs. Could I take you up there now by any chance and escort you around? Yeah, no, I'm Just with you think on that. Think of
0: yourself quest. as an accommodating host. You're anticipating people's curiosity, needs, desires. And um, if there's a way that you can guide them through that in a way that wouldn't be problematic for your other house guests. That that was another approach that I was imagining.
1: Dan, if you weren't going to go the silent sign route, or if you weren't going to go the route of, of taking them on a tour... I think the other thing that I might be willing to consider is that if I heard the noises upstairs happening during a party that was very much so a downstairs party, I would not feel too terribly bad about going to investigate. And then when I find the person saying, oh, I had, you know, I would heard some noises upstairs, so I came upstairs to check. Um, And then if it happened to be one of the guest bedrooms, that's where I'd feel very confident saying, because I've got guests staying here, I'm actually going to have these rooms be off limits right now. Thank you so much for understanding you know and and again you don't want to thank someone before they've they've said you know oh i totally get it or something like that but i do think think that's
0: an example where you might be able to get you might be able to
1: make (laughs) it work there there you will. take your pick audience um but i think that that's one where kind of catching them in the act it could be part of part of an easy redirection of like oh you know i'd really appreciate it if And I like the idea of I'd appreciate it if tonight we don't come up here or I appreciate if we just leave these rooms off limits or, you know, appreciate if we stay downstairs tonight those might be ways to to work it into the conversation. But I feel like I'm liking the three tactics. I would love to hear if audience members have any ideas themselves, things that have worked for particularly Snoopy friends or relatives, people who also I'm, I'm looking at the, the type of person that this is. And if it is a close family member, a lot harder to to just not invite them, which can be another tactic to take. And so I think I I like the idea of kind of finding ways to address it. Dan, before we close this one out, the one thing I didn't get to was why I would put my sign at the top of the stairs. I feel like at the top of the stairs, it's less showy to the, to the whole party. It's less of a thing. But if it's at the top of the stairs where you can't maybe quite see it as easily, that someone going up will encounter it. And I like the ribbon because it goes across the whole stairway. And so there is a, a physical stop moment there. But I kind of like the idea of putting it up there where someone might encounter it on their way up rather than down at the bottom where I think it would get a lot more attention.
0: Perplexed Hostess, you don't sound like such a perplexed hostess to us. You sound like you've got your stuff together and you're just dealing with someone who doesn't quite understand the usual boundaries. We hope that our answer helps you reestablish them. Hello, boys and girls. Hi. Hi. Excuse me for interrupting, but why isn't Johnny playing with you?
1: Well, Johnny's rude. And selfish. He doesn't think of others.
2: Isn't there any way we can help Johnny learn to be considerate?
1: Our next question is titled Dog Drama. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I am a dog behavioral consultant. I've been able to incorporate your principles into the relationship with my clients and their dogs. For this, I cannot thank you enough. Most of the dogs that I see have severe behavior issues. By the time I am contacted, the tension and stress in the home is palpable. Typically, I listen to the owner's concerns, and then I present the family with a preliminary diagnosis and outline a plan for addressing their concerns. Every so often, instead of acknowledging my plan, I will hear something like, Thank you, my partner wanted to do XYZ instead, and I told them that they were wrong. Oh, goodness. Despite hearing this regularly, I am still caught off guard. At times, I can acknowledge the legitimacy of what the partner wants to do. However, most of the time, the partner's plans are not considered best practices and are potentially dangerous to the family and the dog. I could really use some advice or sample scripts on how to handle this. Or better yet, is there something I could do to possibly prevent the family's internal conflict from being aired? As a small business owner, I've noticed that when one of the parties feels slighted, I rarely am able to schedule a follow up visit with the family. Obviously, repeat business is key to my business model and is crucial to the future success for the dog. I appreciate any help you can provide. Sincerely, who's your doggy? <laughs> oh, that was cute.
0: I'm so glad you got to read this one, because. <laughs> and 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 i'm I'm happy about it for a couple of reasons. One, I'm just delighted to think that our show might have applications in the animal kingdom. I just me think too. that is phenomenal <laughs> and there was an element of this question that really resonated with me, and that was the part of feeling like you're arbitrating a fight you were never a part of because. Mm. We don't know what that's like at the Emily Post Institute. No, never.
1: None of we, you ev- – no, i no, no, sure, sure. no
0: one has ever taken <laughs> any advice that we offer yeah. or support <laughs> that we've provided and used it to then turn around and, and attack Told a family so. member or uh, get a one-up on someone else because no one would ever do that.
1: No. Nobody, we're we're all above that, aren't we?
0: <laughs> it's a definite issue, and it's not something that's easy to anticipate and manage ahead of time. But I do think that there might be a little bit of prep work that um, who's your doggy could employ. And okay. I was thinking about language as you come in, and it doesn't need to be the totality of how you present, but just acknowledging nobody has all the answers. Every situation is unique. There are legitimate and different ways to do things that you don't present your expert authority as ultimate and unassailable and, and perfect in every way. And that, that gives you a lot of latitude if later on someone tries to wield your advice against someone else to say, well, you know, every situation's a little different in general. And then you can talk about the reasons you give it and this and that, but it it gives you some room in terms of negotiating that interpersonal space when, when someone does do something, which I'm going to go ahead and call a little bit rude of using your words against someone else in a way that you didn't intend.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the places who's your doggy might be in, in a tough spot on. Cause first of all, I really, I, I, I love the humbleness of that attitude. I also love the reality in most situations of that attitude. And I would just say for who's your doggy, you might want to come up with a list of the things that are more hard and fast and the things that are more open so that you kind of know a a couple directions to go on particular points. Because I know that with dogs and behavior, you know, we've come a long way, a very long way. But there is some old school belief can go back as far as it's okay to beat your dog into submission. And I would be cautious about leaving space open for that kind of behavioral correction. But I do think leaving a lot of space for – and this is what the trainers at Fetch the Leash did that I was so impressed with. When they're getting to know people, they really leave their mindset open to all the different ways that people might have experienced training or working with a dog from those very negative reinforcement driven practices all the way towards fully positive or or only positive reinforcement practices. I love the fact that Dan, where they start to move into your type of language, that they recognize how long it takes to really change a dog's behavior that that some things you can do with food reward and things like that. and, And you can see changes really quickly. But other things, for instance, like Barking, it could take you well over a year or more to work on that with a dog. And I think setting up the expectations might also be a place that helps you create more room in this relationship as you, the trainer, start to identify, or the behavioral specialists start to identify the issues um, and the environment both like of the dog and of the environment and it's a- that it's in and the people that are working with it. That that could really be kind of that open space that you're talking
0: about, Dan. I have a sample script question for you.
1: Oh, yeah. Let's hear it.
0: I was imagining or wondering about three people sitting in a, a space together and someone presenting a, a plan of action and the, the people that they're talking to, one turning to the other and saying, see, see, I was right. You were wrong. Mm. I think it's okay. Even if you were going to stick to your – um, plan. Stick to your plan. Stick to yeah. your conviction that what you're recommending is is sound and, and is a good approach, is a professional approach. Uh, to say that, that you could address the particular language that's used. Now, something like – pardon me. I, I never said anybody was wrong.
1: Okay. <laughs> I like that.
0: And I I think that's okay to say. Even if your advice is different than the the plan that they would take, you didn't say they were wrong. You said Mm -hmm. you thought this was a good way to go and you didn't set it up in contradiction to anybody else's opinion or idea. And – I, I think that you don't necessarily need to surrender the position that you're taking, but I think you can also say that that particular rudeness wasn't something that I wanted to own or don't want to continue to own or, or sign off on.
1: Participate in or something like that. I also think maybe um, leaning into it. So when you hear that, that um, see, I was, I was right. And you were wrong that, that saying something along the lines of, you know, Way more important than who had an inkling of which training direction we might go after a meeting like this is do you feel comfortable with the training plan we're setting forward? And is it something that you feel you can enact and and work on to help benefit your dog? So in other like words, that. trying to reframe it like this isn't about, oh, you were right and I was wrong. It's about what did the the specialist that we just hired come in to say? And how can we enact that? Is that something the two of us, the three of us, the five of us as a family can can work on for the benefit of the dog? So always reframing whatever the couple or the parents of the dog or the parent of the dog is kind of, I want to say, trying to wrangle into their perspective and instead always reframing everything about how it's going to benefit the dog and creating success for the future
0: of the dog. I'm starting to like this answer more and more, and I'm starting to think (laughs) it might also provide you with an opportunity to address some potential doubts about what it is you're recommending. If there is somebody sitting in the room who really would take a different approach or thinks very differently about this kind of thing than you do. You're right. In some ways, getting it called out and having an opportunity to be the one to address How you see that maybe not working in the same way or being just very different than the way you would approach it is a chance for you to actually put your stamp on that perspective and address – I don't want to call it what's wrong, but what what the other person in the room might call wrong about the other approach or idea.
1: Dan, I also really like the idea of who's your doggie taking some time and maybe who's your doggie you build this into – some of your sessions, or, or or allow specific time for it, but to talk about the wrong behavior or the behavior, you know, that that moment that that someone would say, I think this training method would work really discussing why that's not something you lean into. I am sure this is something you probably already do, but you might even try building a little bit more space for it and saying, you know, this is the part of the session where I really try to address why I'm not suggesting other things for you to do or things you might have heard of or seen, you know, on the internet or maybe even heard from a vet in some cases. I don't know. I don't know how how, how close those your doggy behavioralist ends up aligning with vet advice. But I think that that using a little bit of time to kind of address some of the directions you're not going and why you're not going those directions might be a way to head off that comment that Dan's thinking of happening kind of at the end of the the thing where they say, see, I told you so. It's like, well, you've already had a whole conversation about why some of these things might work and let's keep that focus on getting to the things that will work or that we are willing to try that we do feel capable of trying in order to to move a dog forward from a tough behavioral spot. Who's your doggy? Definitely a lot going on here, and we very much so sympathize with not wanting to get into the middle of the he said, she said. We certainly hope that our answer can help both you enjoy those client meetings more and can hopefully help benefit a lot of dogs in the
2: future. Irv Pronsky has spent eight years with the Sheriff's Department, the last two in the company of Iro, a German Shepherd police dog. Iroh searches in response to his master's commands. Through his keen senses of hearing and smell, a police dog can search a building more effectively and more quickly than can an officer by himself.
0: Our next question is about foreign country conduct. Hi, Lizzie Dan and Chris. Your ad for Babbel got me thinking about the etiquette of foreign language exchange and prompted a question for the podcast. Could you share some tips for using local language while traveling? Should I attempt to use the basics of the local language, even if I can't use it to carry on a further conversation? For instance, I don't speak French, yet Babel may help with that, (laughs) ha! While traveling, I was once told by a person I had greeted in French that I should not use French greetings if I can't speak the language. I suppose I put them in an awkward position when they started chatting with me in French only to learn that I didn't actually know the language. This makes me wonder how to be honest while also showing respect for the local language. What ideas do you have for graciously interacting with someone who's developing their English skills? Is it okay to coach them through a conversation, or would doing so be rude? When I speak my second language, Lithuanian, I sincerely welcome it if someone offers me a new word or a grammar correction. But I hesitate to offer that kind of help to folks when roles are reversed. Another question. Given no other alternatives, I've seen people navigate language barriers by typing what they would like to say into Google Translate on their phones, and then showing that to the other person. Is that okay? Do you have any thoughts on how to do something like that well? I found you through higher etiquette, and have latched on to all your work since. Thank you so much for what you do. Your advice guides me through my everyday in Cleveland, Ohio, and has really improved my relationships and perspectives. I appreciate you all. Neris.
1: Neris, I, but Dan's got the best line. Dan say it. Dan say it.
0: Welcome to the Etiquette Nerd Club, Neris.
1: Yes. <laughs> Maris, thank you so much. Thank you for finding us through Higher Etiquette. It's actually one of the reasons that we were excited to do that book. Um, We hoped it would expand our audience in a way that we were interested in expanding it. And so I I just welcome and thank you. I also just thank you. This is such a beautifully thoughtful email to us. You're really, I mean you, you just see so much good etiquette work going on around here. For me, Dan, there were a couple things that came to mind right off the bat and and number one was Emily in Paris and the Netflix show because she starts off by not having expected to go work in France she wasn't prepared, hadn't learned French and she was doing that Google Translate thing like all the time and it was both working for her and irritating I think and it's, it's kind of fun to see how that's changed throughout now a third season of the show um, but it's a great illustration of that particular thing and is it rude or is it helpful you know and then I I also just really appreciate the um, the difficult position that we all can be put in when it comes to a foreign language where do you try your best to get as many words, especially greeting type words or basic words down and use them and then apologize because you can't speak more or like the French person that Nerys encountered. Is it insulting to almost like make it seem like you might be able to enter a conversation, but then basically be able to say nothing but hi and thank you? You know, it's a debate out there. (laughs) I know from our etiquette advice, we always tell people traveling to countries other than traveling outside their countries, that it's great to look up those magic words type words, to have a small understanding of how the language functions so that you can participate on a very basic level. I still think that's pretty good advice. Personally,
0: I couldn't agree more, Lizzie Post. I think that you have to start somewhere, and it's the most basic of courtesies to make an effort with the language of any place that you're visiting. And the fact that you can't learn the entire language should never preclude you from going or from getting started. And I, I think it's something to be aware of. You might learn how to say, I only speak a little. Je parlais un petit peu. (laughs)
1: There you go.
0: (laughs) And and I found it one of the most useful early phrases to learn. And I I, I just wouldn't ever want to dissuade anyone from investing in and and making the effort to learn in the language of any place they're visiting. The most common greetings and goodbyes, as you suggested, magic words can be very helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. I would like, or could I see, or where is the restroom or That's bathroom? always the best one. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, learning your left and your right, mm-hmm. or how directions are most commonly given or expressed or shared is another, I think, really obvious early choice for me as well. I think it's so unfortunate that Naris ran into someone that scolded them for making that effort i would consider that the bad etiquette in the situation and we're always hesitant to call out bad etiquette on this show in this particular case i will leave the associations connected with it aside and just say in that particular instance i don't think that that was um that was helpful useful or 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 even good advice for thinking about how to behave in future situations
1: well dan it reminds me of the kind of end of of naris's comments where they're asking about how should I treat folks, you know, who come, who come visit and are new English speakers? I love
0: that flip. Yes.
1: know. Uh, it was just, I'm telling you, like, we've got some really brilliant emails today, guys. And that is one for me where, especially when I was in a service position. So either when I worked any of the various restaurant or food service jobs that I've had, or when I worked at the um, male clothing store, it was really important for me and I i know this just might not be everyone's mo but like it was really important for me to try my hardest to make that space if I found there was a big language barrier between myself and the, the person I was serving I wanted to make that space as inviting and easy and gentle for them as possible because I know what it's like when I'm in a different country and I'm uncertain of things and I'm hoping people are going to be nice and I, I think being that kind of helpful kind thoughtful citizen is a great way to be an ambassador for your country when you're dealing with people who aren't from here or maybe who have just relocated here um and so anyway i just i loved that thoughtfulness in this particular question.
0: i did too and i think the good etiquette advice there isn't to jump in and start making corrections or trying to help someone advance or yeah. grow their vocabulary but you can always offer and i think that most people are going to take you up on that eagerly and quickly. And then you're going to be in a position where you can offer that help and you can be even more supportive. And maybe that's about language coaching or vocab or um, it might just be about taking more time to listen and really pay attention in ways that that let you get more out of the words that you do know. Mm-hmm. I also, like, the third place this question went. And I have not seen Emily in Paris, guilty confession, hand up, shrinks down in the chair just <laughs> a little bit. I trying
1: to get you to watch it, but I understand you have but a busy life. But
0: use of Google <laughs> Translate is really – I mean it's become a very common practice as people travel. Yes. And I don't think there is any – way to put the genie back in the bottle on using Mm-mm. technology and new devices as translators and as as effective communication tools to cross language barriers, as is always the case. I think the the etiquette rubber hits the road when you talk about how. And if you walk around barking things into your phone and then hitting a button and pointing it at people and expecting that they're <laughs> going to interact or respond well to that, I think you're you're in for a surprise or you're not gonna get as good a result or response as you might hope.
1: And Dan, I think also if you just are mid conversation, you pull out your phone and start typing frantically into it, someone might think you've exited the conversation, like that you're you're off doing other things. So finding something like the language to say let me use a translator one second and then typing it out you know like figuring out how to say some of those types of things might might i think make it less of a abrupt moment when you decide to turn to that translation app
0: learning a greeting in the local language making eye contact or deflecting your gaze if that's the more appropriate and respectful thing to do Mm -hmm. but figuring out how to Mm -hmm. approach how to approach someone with humanity and to, to make that human connection and it might be possible, it might not, but would you mind if we translate it on my phone? And that might just be three words, could phone and translate as you indicate towards it. And if if someone nods, then absolutely proceed. They shake their head no, they're not interested, they don't have time, then maybe make that request of someone else. But it's, it's always gonna be about the how you do it, not um, as is so often the case with these incredibly powerful devices whether or not you do, but how how you treat people while you're doing it. Neris, we are delighted that you found the show and that you've stuck around and that you've started sharing some questions with us. Please do keep it up. If your manners aren't the everyday regular part of you, when special occasions do come up, you may be uncertain, not show up to advantage, and sometimes your lack of
2: assurance results in the embarrassment of doing the wrong thing.
1: Our next question is titled, Child-Free Friends and Festivities. I am so curious what this question is going to be about. Hi, Lizzie. Hi, Dan. I've been a sporadic listener over the years and have recently been loving and binging your podcast. So excuse me if this question has already come up. I'm a newish mom and my son is turning three soon. For his past birthday parties, I have included all of our friends and family friends and friends with kids that we might know. This year, it is a very kid-centric activity at a children's museum. I think it would be weird if child-free adults attended, as they would just be watching kids play for the majority of the time, and it's during public museum hours. So in addition to the kids we do know, there will be lots of kids that we don't know playing as well. I think it would be weird and not enjoyable for our child-free friends, plus weird for the families who are not part of the party having so many adults present who do not have a kid in attendance. I work on a relatively small and close-knit team. How would I go about inviting those colleagues who have kids while excluding the rest, or do I just not invite anyone from that circle of relationships? Wanting to invite everyone but can't.
0: Oh, wanting to invite everyone but can't. If. We had had a much longer intro to the show and I had tagged on the <laughs> etiquette that I'm dealing with in my life right now. It would have been all about Anisha's six-year birthday party, which she is being a bigger part of planning than she has ever been a part of before. Aww. Kids' birthday parties bring up so many questions, so many etiquette questions, that we even have a little subcategory of answers to kids' <laughs> birthday party etiquette questions that, that we've developed over the year because it's such a such a frequent – point of concern for people or, 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 um, place where people deal with some questions. And one of the reasons is that there is a natural thing that happens. And it sounds like you're navigating it a little bit right now where when you've got a a little, little baby, the party is for them, but it's really for the adults in their life that, Mm -hmm. that celebrate them and take care of them. But you reach a point where the birthday starts to become more about the kid and it starts to be them that are playing the role of honored guest or maybe even host. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be where I was going to start to center my etiquette advice for this question. And that if your child is getting old enough, it might be helpful to think of them as the honored guest and to really focus the party on them. And that might mean that not inviting certain people from your your work team isn't about you not inviting them. It's about them not necessarily being set up well or, or, or the, creating the kind of environment or party that is the best for your honored guest. And that's where you want to keep your attention. I wouldn't worry so much about it being weird to have people that don't have their own kids coming to the museum or coming to enjoy or celebrate yeah. a birthday. I think that that is – A very natural thing for people to do in the same way we like going to the birthday parties of one-year-olds and two-year-olds because we enjoy supporting the parents and the kids. The same can be true at any stage in life. But the question that you're asking might be better answered by is that the right kind of guest for the kind of party that you're throwing? And it might be or it might not be. But I I, I wouldn't worry too much about the weirdness of it. And I would Mm -hmm. think more about creating the kind of social mix that will create the kind of party that you're looking for.
1: Dan, you're headed in the same direction that I am, which is I think you don't even worry about who's got kids and who doesn't have kids. I think, and again, as Dan's pointed out, this may start as like a slow shift. It might be a very abrupt shift, but at some point you're going to be asking your kid, who do you want to invite to your birthday party this year? And you might have a really close group of maybe a mixture of some family and some friends who are people, whether they have kids or not, who are always going to be invited to this kid's party because they're really the core grown-up group of people in this kid's life. As Dan's pointing out, there might be some parties where the party itself is far more conducive to kitty things. I'm thinking of like if my nephew had a party at this place called Monkey-Doo here in Burlington, Dan knows it well, <laughs> or it's in Williston, I don't know, somewhere nearby, and Monkey-Doo would be a place where, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, it's a lot harder for the adults to, like, to jump in and do at Monkey-Doo, is that kind correct? Kind of, although
0: I've been guilty it's of getting of right in the ball thing. It's more place for the, the yeah. kids.
1: Have you been? Okay, okay. I've only been to the trampoline park, so and I know that that is a very mixed kids and adult venue. Um, That's one where I think inviting everybody would be really good. But if, for instance, the play place is much more about the kids being let loose in a giant play area and the adults kind of hanging on the sidelines as so often happens – that's the kind of thing where, yeah, I might wonder. But at a museum where there's things to learn and engage with, I just – for me, I think not worrying about – and granted, this is like a biased opinion. I'm a childless person. And so – and and some people would prefer you say person without children also. That's another thing to just take note of. But I think it's important to not, I think – Judge it quite so much on whether the invitees have children or not, but more so is this a part of the group that would really make a lot of sense for this party? Um, And I am with Dan that does really shift the focus of the party shifts about like kind of around ages four, five, six, I feel like you start having more of the friend group and less of the big family party. Or you might even split it and have two parties, one with the family, one with the friends. My sister does that for her kids because uh, they're able to do that.
0: Um, there might be some people there that you yeah, don't know. Very that, true. Much, that are better friends to your child or more connected to your child than like, they are I, to you. I,
1: I think so. And so for me, wanting to invite everyone but can't, I think I would I would switch up my dividing lines And I would think a little bit more carefully about this party and what the goals are for the child for the party and let that be more of a driver than whether or not people have kids or not.
0: I think there are a couple other etiquette points that are important to make here. One is that theoretically Mm – people shouldn't be offended that they're not invited (laughs) so when thinking about managing work relationships i can understand and appreciate the awareness of the small team nature and that some people might become aware that other people are going and other people are not having said all that it should also be true that these are grown-ups and the an invitation to a child's birthday party is something that they shouldn't take a lot of offense at whether they receive it or don't And shoulds aren't worth a whole lot in this world. And if you know that there's somebody who would feel left out if three people were invited and they were not or the other way around, take that into consideration as as you should. You have to know the rules to know Mm -hmm. when to break them. But again, theoretically, people shouldn't be offended that they're not invited. The other thing that I would mention around the host guest invitation etiquette side of things is that if you do choose to invite people, that you're clear with them about the nature of the event so that they can decide whether they want to participate or not. Instead of trying to manage that choice for the guests, you give them enough information that they can make that choice for themselves, make it well, and feel good about making whatever choice they make.
1: Wanting to invite everyone but can't, we certainly hope that our advice helps you to do a bit of a frame shift around this particular party and that you have an event that your child feels wonderfully celebrated for and that you as a parent feel great about hosting. (laughs)
0: thank you for your questions please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com you can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND that's 802-858-5463 you can also reach us on social media on twitter we are at emilypostinst on instagram we are at emilypostinstitute and on facebook we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag #AwesomeEtiquette Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
1: We certainly hope that you are enjoying this podcast. And if you'd like to consider becoming a paid subscriber, you can do so by going to emilypost.substack.com. You'll get an ads-free version of the show, access to bonus questions and content, including our discussion threads and community. Plus, you're going to feel great knowing that you help to keep awesome etiquette on the air. To those of you who are already paid subscribers of our Substack, thank you so much for your support.
0: It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have feedback from Amy on not wanting to shake hands from episode 435.
1: Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I had some feedback for friendly, not touchy. Years ago, I worked teaching ballroom dancing every weekend between Thanksgiving and Christmas at the Dickens Christmas Fair. Think Victorian Ren Fair. And as part of the costumes, we all had to wear gloves. As it turns out, the gloves also had a practical purpose of protecting us from cold and flu viruses. The rules were gloves on when handling the guests, off when eating. Every night we washed them in hot water with some bleach to clean and disinfect. Maybe Touchy can find some fun gloves to wear that have a fashion-forward look and can help protect her. All the best, Amy.
0: Amy, thank you so much for this little tour at Dickens Christmas Fair. I I love it. (laughs) and and i also i love as you know traditional etiquettes and it's so much fun to hear the rules on for the handling the guests and off when eating
1: (laughs) (laughs) amy thanks so much for the feedback and thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates please keep them coming you can send your feedback or update to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND that's 802-858-5463
0: it's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today is an exciting one. It's about <laughs> etiquette. Yes, that's right. Text etiquette. And it's a special kind of text etiquette because we are very excited to be announcing a new product launch. Emily Post has teamed up with the High Note app creators to bring you Emily Post digital stationery for enhancing text messages. Today, Lizzie is going to chat with Highnote founder Alexis Trina on digital stationery and
2: all things text
1: Alexis, thank you for joining us, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette. I'm so glad to have you here.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here.
1: Dan and I are really very excited about this collaboration with you and your team at Highnote. Your app is really about creating better, more meaningful connections between people as we use text message, you know, our most, like, common form of communication. As soon as you see a high note, you can immediately see where the need for something like this came from. Like, I feel like that that would almost be too obvious a question to start with. But here we are communicating hourly with this bland, limited visual and you, my friend, spend a lot of time thinking about how we all operate in the world of texting and digital communications. I was wondering if you might be able to share with our audience what the top three things that you think we could be doing better when it comes to our text etiquette, or what we call for this collaboration, our text etiquette. What do you think? How could
2: we improve? I mean, you know, it's such an interesting thing because there is such a psychology of communication and the different ways we communicate. And most importantly, I think it's the different ways that we represent the different sides of ourselves. Oh, I Um, like that. (laughs) It's almost like who I am socially is different than who I am personally and who I am professionally and who I am am with my girlfriends and who I am with my mom friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I kind of just started feeling like, you know all of these sides wanted representation not just mm-hmm. kind of one moment it's like all the sides wanted to be represented so it's almost kind of like who am i at this moment who am i at 7am versus 11 versus 2 versus 10:30 pm i love it i absolutely love that <laughs> and so you know thinking about the work that we did um you know i think that so much of it is prioritizing the importance of Um, the connections in this kind of world of mobile living. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we just kind of always enjoyed together, you and I. Yes. (laughs) The importance of the care and the thought and the meaning of these communications, these moments, they're big, they're small, they're thoughtful. They're about um, honoring and celebrating life and each other. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, so much of what you say, just we've been kind of stuck in these blue and gray text bubbles a long time. And it's like, people deserve better.
1: I love you that. Know? I love that idea that people just deserve better. And there there was clearly a space to do this and we had the capability to do it. And. I'm curious. I I feel like I've gotten through two of yours. What's the third point? What's the third takeaway I mean, for I text etiquette?
2: You know, I think we've lost that idea of that um ability to bring ourselves to life. You know, we can bring ourselves to life in every sphere and yet this one spot is very generic. So I kind of feel like communication should stand out, Mm -hmm. you know, it wants to get noticed. It wants Mm -hmm. to leave an impression. You want to be appreciated for the gesture, for Mm -hmm. the sentiment, for the care. And I think that in that there's something really important about creating communication that reflects well on both the sender and the receiver.
1: I love that concept that we're really thinking about the person that we're writing to. I absolutely adore that. One thing I've noticed from using the high notes is that on Awesome Etiquette, our audience is very familiar with Dan and I talking about how a handwritten note takes time and effort to put together and how often a text message or an email even can just feel fired off really quickly. And what I kind of love about the high note is because you're putting it to, I'm choosing stationary and I'm picking fonts and colors. I am putting effort into this note and it takes me a moment to construct it. It doesn't take forever. It doesn't take a whole lot of like huge effort, but it does take some thought. And I think that that creates a more meaningful message, both for the sender sending it and trying to communicate that gratitude, or that sentiment or that uh, welcoming invitation. And I just I, I love the fact that you guys built so much option into the app, because I think that does help with the idea of thoughtfulness, time and effort in using these types of communications and using them in better ways.
2: Yeah. And I feel like, you know, whether you're applying for a job and, or a college interview and, or you're pitching a business, you know, it's like the importance of that follow-up to send a thoughtful note is indelible. And I hear it all the time, you know, it's like that, (laughs) that extra step is so important and valuable and valued.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. You can really feel it on the other end. That's what I like about this so much is that you can feel the extra steps happen and you're like, oh, wow, that's not just a blue bubble or a green bubble or a gray bubble. You know what I mean? That's got something behind it. I I like the way the visuals can really help communicate the meaning, too. You and I have spent a lot of time during this collaboration walking the line between what's appropriate for text messaging and what isn't. For example, if your friend shares on social that a parent had died, would you text them, call them, or send them a handwritten note? And we settled on the reality that this so depends so much of the appropriateness with text messaging, whether it's a it's a digital station, a piece of digital stationery or not, was dependent upon the relationship, the nature of the bad news that was being communicated, how it was initially shared. Is there a personal moment, either where you expressed sympathy to someone or where you maybe received sympathy from someone, where you kind of went, "Oh wait, that was like." Via text, and it really felt okay. And I'm guessing that, of course, if it was wrapped up in a high note, it would feel even better. But I'm curious if you kind of had those moments either prior to starting high note, or once you started high note, where you're like, this, this really feels meaningful and enough. And if you'd be willing to share
2: Oh my God. I mean, I think what was really interesting was yesterday as we introduced our collaboration, one of the notes that we showed off was a sympathy note. Mm -hmm. And one of the commenters was like, wow, I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) You know, are you trying to say that a digital sympathy sentiment replaces handwritten. She was kind of like, I'm not sure I believe that. Mm-hmm. And so I was just kind of reflecting because I wanted to respond. And, you know, we live in this new world where the stationery, the paper shops, the card shops across Main Street, across America have started to vanish. Mm. And finding cards is not easy. That's true. So my response to her was, I'm kind of all for whatever one can get their hands on in the right timing. Yeah. Um, because I feel like if you had a card, absolutely, that would be something, but there's something about quick acknowledgement with that kind of thoughtful presentation sure. that we can get our heads around. And, you know, I think that being able to have access to those communications are what really matter.
1: However, we can. (laughs) Right, right. When we first discussed that sympathy card, we wanted to be clear that it was never going to replace a condolence card. And sympathy kind of has a broader application. So if I found out that you broke your leg, I could send you a sympathy card. Or maybe if you had COVID, I could send you a sympathy card. You know, those those moments in life where things are a bit down or or they're a bit rough. Um, a sympathy card can really play a wonderful part in someone being seen, someone's trials or tribulations being acknowledged. Just a communication that lets us know others see us and care about us is so meaningful. But you're right. You, could, you don't always have the moment to get to the card. The other thing I found so incredibly difficult about Trying to stick to just paper was that if the message, if the communication about the injury or the thing is happening via text message, clearly the person who's experiencing it is saying, I'm okay with us discussing it in this method. And I would feel rude not responding to it at all just because it's a text message and taking the time to write a card that it's like you need both working at the same time, I feel like. And I just love I love the way our sympathy card can operate not just for a death, but and and also that you would really only use it if it was appropriate, and the other person had started the conversation and let you know this news via text message.
2: Well, and I think to your point, it's like you know, typically speaking, if we're going to be communicating by text in this very vulnerable moment, there's very little opportunity in the blue and gray text bubbles for yes. voice,
1: yes. and tone,
2: yeah, and you know uh, that level of Connection, as you said, I see you. Yeah. I understand the gravity of this moment. And I've really kind of thoughtfully considered what is the best communication for you? Because I found something very fascinating as I was doing early research. One of the greatest success stories of paper communication yeah. in the greeting space was this beautiful illustration of a basket of pansies. Aww. And it's called the rock star of all greeting cards. And really designed, designed in the fifties and it's this very charming, humble, almost kind of, um, you know, it's like those old Valentines almost. Oh yeah. And, yeah. I know what you mean. And so what's so amazing about it and why it was so crazy successful was that this little basket of flowers could go the whole gamut it was like a go-to for sympathies. It was a go-to for get well. It was a go-to for I miss you. It was a go-to for thinking of you. It covered the Everything. gambit. And so-
1: yeah. You could even I do happy was-
2: birthday, right? I mean, like- <laughs> I thought it was so fascinating because it has endured the test of time simply uh-huh. because it was so versatile mm-hmm. and its general sentiment is with love. Yeah, That to me is really what we're talking about. All of these are expressions of love, affection, thought, care. What I loved about your collaboration, Lizzie, was, you know, we really wanted to um, stay very true to the look and feel that has been your family's legacy, right? We wanted to um, really kind of create with fonts that reflected it giving our consumers, users, the um, option for colors to express I themselves. I love that.
1: I love you know, that some option. People,
2: some people might love pale blue. Some people might like mint green. Some people mm-hmm. might like pale pink or gray or, you know, and then even in, within our collection, there yeah. were some that were standing on note cards yep. and some that were uh, cards with envelopes. And the ones that we really kind of collectively leaned to for envelopes had a lot more weight to them, they did
1: I <laughs> know they absolutely did. I've loved making this collection with you guys. what out of out of all of them? what is the one you're the most excited about, and what's the one you're most likely to use if they're different?
2: You and I really kind of loved this one, and um, I felt like I'm constantly introducing people, or like, oh, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. please meet or please, please. So when we did introducing. I felt like that was a very valuable note because again, you wanted to kind of, when you're introducing two people, you know, you want to convey, I think this person's special, you should know them. Yeah. Or I think you really get along. It's like, you know, and it also, again, reflects well on the sender and the receiver because anybody who's making that introduction is obviously valuable to the other. Um, So I loved introducing and then I'm always looking forward.
1: Yes, I sent you the text. I wrote you. You looking did. Forward.
2: You did. I'm always looking forward. So I think that that idea and that language that was so carefully chosen by you was right. You know, looking forward to big and little. Yeah, and anything in between.
1: Yes. Oh, I love. I love that Yours. one for its versatility. For me. I like the checking in note because I feel like it is so versatile. I could check in about a meeting. I could check in to see how you're doing if you're sick with the flu, or you're going through a divorce, or the kids have been crazy lately. Like I feel like checking in is so versatile. I, like you, appreciate the I think the space that the introducing one is going to occupy, because I think it's going to be so well used by people. I think it fills a void. I think that those introductions need to feel special. They don't look special in a just blank generic text message. I also think it gives them the gravitas. I think it sets the stage nicely. I think it does everything it really needs to be. But the one that I think I'm excited about, and maybe this is just my etiquette side here, is the RSVP note. Because I feel like I want... Okay, I don't get invited to that Ooh. much stuff. But I feel like I want to use that note all the time. I want more people to feel excited about the RSVP to feel confident about it we it's a place where a lot of the times we're exchanging host guest dance stuff like do you have any allergies or is your home accessible for me to be able to enter and you know be able to use a a restroom and things like that there's all kinds of stuff we have to check in about and that rsvp note is i think one of the classiest things we came up with i'm really excited about it
2: (laughs) i'm so in agreement and i think that the rsvp space first of all Fun and you know, it's like the psychology of RSVP is really something. (laughs) I'm just, I've been noodling on it for a while because to be honest, we're all kind of really bad at it.
1: Yeah, I think so. I'm worse from the pandemic. I know that that made me not respond as quickly to things.
2: (laughs) Yeah, one of the things that you know, just thinking about. Etiquette and your world and what we're up to, I think COVID just brought so much of it to light. Yes. You know, it was like snail mail, God help it. It was like, you know, weeks out. So you never knew, like, <laughs> we get at, you know, did it arrive? And then it was almost like with COVID, there was so much transition and vulnerability and loss. Mm-hmm. You know, we all knew so many people who'd lost loved ones, who had moved, who had done so, you know, who, you know we're in throes of of transition and yeah. significant world change, so you know just reaching out in blue and gray tax bubbles was so acceptable and so um okay, yeah, so I think that in that moment we saw a very informal world take place, yes, and so you know it's the opportunity to kind of find um where does that pendulum swing a little bit out so that we can make room for another layer of self-expression and connection. I love it. I absolutely love it.
1: Well, Alexis, this has been so incredible. And I want to close out our interview before, before I get to where everybody can find us on High Note and everything by letting our audience know that we are so excited to announce that on Friday, February 3rd, we are going to be doing a giveaway of five, count them, one, two, three, four, five, Emily Post Etiquette, the Centennial Edition books to celebrate this launch. So you've got to go to our Instagram. You've got to go to High Note's Instagram. That's at Emily Post Institute and at highnote.app. For all the details, please enter, enter, enter. If you can, definitely sign up for the High Note app. We are so excited about it. We are so excited about this launch. Alexis, is there anything else that you would like to tell our audience before we take it away today.
2: I just think it's such an honor for us to be sitting here, you know, on this show with you and Dan, who really are taking your great grandmother's extraordinary legacy into these modern times Thank with you. so much passion. I mean that <laughs> That is so amazing and honorable. And I just think about her and like, you know, we've really had to discover and learn about who she was through this process. And what a woman, like, I just think to myself, you know, think about who she was and the megaphone that she was grabbing onto in times where this was brazen work. And um, I love that you all are Continuing that and really making it relevant and important, I think in these times where we're living, kind of with in mobile li- life, yeah, we need we need it. We need oh. your work. <laughs> so well, it's an honor. For, it's an honor for me and our team who just have so much respect. Oh, thank you. Thank you well, for having us. Thank you. Jumping.
1: <laughs> it's been such an uh, such an awesome journey. Where can people find out more about
2: High Note? The best place is really to dive into to find us on Instagram. Okay. Because we're really telling stories there. Like right now, we're knee deep in um Emily Post. Yay! Uh, Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, we're really talking about um a lot of the things that were really special and important to us about this capsule. But one of the things that I love most that we're really able to tell on social media is your incredible notes. So what when we were creating, we asked Lizzie, hey, listen, each of these 12 notes, um, could we create almost a master class of correct etiquette and how <laughs> we create every single um note in its need? So RSVP has all the correct and classic communication that one would have when sending an RSVP. Introduction has the beautiful language um, that really sets the stage for a really beautiful introduction. Um, Checking in um, has (laughs) all inspiration of how one would would elegantly and easily check in with another. And so I thought the idea of having this master class with Lizzie on these <laughs> notes, using the um, Emily Post approved language was such a treat and allowed us all to kind of reconsider, how should I write this? Am I doing it right? Would Lizzie <laughs> say it like this? Would Emily <laughs> say it like this? What would you say? Um, looking for what would they say? How would they approach? There they are.
1: <laughs> I absolutely love that. It was so much fun coming up with everything. Audience, please head over to Hi Note on Instagram. That's at app for all of this wonderful content. And don't forget to keep an eye out for the giveaway. Alexis, Trina, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: The pleasure is all mine. Lizzie Post, thank you so much for putting this together. I am just so excited about the whole concept (laughs) of digital stationery and just can't wait for people to get to the high note app and find out more and take a look at the whole suite
1: i'm really really excited too um i, I just it's i'm beaming i was so excited when you got to test out the app and test out our stationery on the app and you sent me a confirmation about our podcast recording and this morning it was so great you used the little com- confirmation note and sent it sent it with a little message letting me know kind of what your schedule was like and when we might be able to do the podcast and i loved it it was exactly what it should be. I'm really very excited about this. This was a super fun thing. This was one of those dreams come true. I had found the High Note app and was loving it and just happened to ask them if they'd want to do a little 100th anniversary edition promotion and this is what we got. I couldn't believe it. I was over the moon joyed. It's been so much fun using it. I get really good reactions to them. So I am very, very excited for our audience who are able to, to, to be able to go and play around with this app and, and see, see what it's like and enjoy being able to send some really pretty digital stationery.
0: Well, thank you so much, Alexis. And thank you, Lizzie Post. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Rick.
1: Dear Lizzie and Dan, my etiquette salute goes out to our neighbor down the street, whom we don't know personally. On the day I listened to the show about pre-printed thank you cards, we received a card in the mail from our neighbor who said they enjoyed our Christmas decorations. This card was just a perfect pick-me-up for my wife, who worked so hard to make everything look nice for the holidays. We've only lived here for a year and a half and don't know too many folks outside of our immediate neighbors, so for her to send this letter meant a lot. So cheers to Lauren, our lovely neighbor, who we hope to meet in person on our walks when the weather improves. Thanks for all you do to improve the world through etiquette. Rick. Oh, that is lovely!
0: Rick, thank you for sending in this salute. That is just such a great example of how a little courtesy can go a long way and can mean much more than someone might even imagine it does.
1: Truly, truly inspiring. Thank you so much for the salute, Rick. And thank you for listening today.
0: And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Substack.
1: Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers on social media or however you like to share podcasts.
0: You can send us your next question, piece of feedback, or salute, and please do keep them coming by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802 858 Kind. That's 802 858 5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute.
1: Please consider becoming a sustaining member of this podcast by visiting us over at emilypost.substack.com. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette.
0: Our show was edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris and Chris and and
1: Bridget.